0: I come with a question in my mind when I start practicing. And normally, somewhere throughout the practice, an answer forms in my head. Sometimes it's like, it's just a feeling. Sometimes it's like a sentence, it's a very clear thought. And it, that answer is not in me. It wasn't in me to start with. It just comes from somewhere or, or something. So, someone is communicating and giving me some guidance. That's what I believe.
1: That was Carmen Aguilar and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Hello, Dharma Talkers, welcome to the show. It's January, that means resolution time. That time of the year when everyone is invigorated with the possibility for positive change and realizing their potential Don't let that feeling fade. If you want to advance your yoga practice, gain clarity in your mind, and heighten your physical awareness, come try the Henry Yoga app. This is my signature 40 day, 40 minutes daily program of Hatha Vinyasa classes and skill building workshops consciously designed to advance your practice. Get the first two classes free at henryyoga.com. Okay. Whether you believe yoga is a destination-oriented practice or it's all about the journey, I think we can all probably agree that we learn a lot in the pursuit of whatever we're chasing, be it postures or enlightenment. So perhaps it's both. I tend to fall in the middle of this debate. My guest this week, on the other hand, draws a hard line. According to Carmen, the results of your practice are essentially meaningless. It's all about what you learn along the way. There is no destination for if there were, we could potentially reach it, lose interest, and then walk away. And that burn and churn of yoga practitioners, which is all too common, really tugs at her heart. One of Carmen's missions is to encourage more people to stick with yoga, to break the fair weather yogi cycle and inspire lifetime relationships with this practice. But why? Why keep pushing yourself to try new and different things? Well, as Carmen can attest, when you avoid discomfort, you avoid growth. And when you pursue discomfort, you stimulate growth. Simple formula, really. And in this episode, you're going to hear about how Carmen continues to challenge herself to that end and lead by example, as well as show how she recognizes her like minded students and honors their desire for transformation in turn. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. Just a few months away in early February, I'm happy to announce that my good buddy and local New York City legend, Benjamin Sears, We'll be doing a three-day training immersion at my old shala down in Texas at Yoga East Austin. I'm stoked for this one because Ben was one of my teachers in the early days of my practice and continues to be a big inspiration for me to always keep searching for better and better information. That's why I interviewed him on the show back on episode 17. Go check that out if you haven't heard Ben's episode yet. A bit of a yoga renaissance man. I love his style of teaching. Ben is not only a fantastic teacher of modalities he has studied in their original forms, and believe me when I say there are too many to list, but he stays passionate about an ever-evolving practice that he draws upon to best serve the needs of his students. His approach is practical and effective, integrating modern science-backed mobility work into traditional yoga modalities. And the results, intelligent asana sequencing to help you develop and deepen a yoga practice pain-free. In fact, Ben recently helped me out with some nagging shoulder pain over a casual dinner we had together. He gave me one simple exercise to include in my practice that basically cleared it right up. The 30-hour training immersion at Yoga East Austin this February is a peek behind the curtain to Ben's personal practice and his much-anticipated 200-hour teacher training he offers once a year at Lux Yoga, a wellness and lifestyle experience in the South of France he founded in 2007. If you want to learn more about your body from someone that has a wealth of knowledge moving pain-free, this training immersion is for you. Check out YogaEastAustin.com slash Benjamin for more info on this three-day weekend event happening February 7th through 9th in Austin, Texas. Do not miss out. And use promo code HenryWins at checkout to save 15%. This episode is brought to you in part by 10,000 purveyors of my new favorite practice shorts. These guys pride themselves on the simplicity and comfort of their gear Two features I look for in all of my clothing, on or off the mat, GQ calls them, quote, the answer to the over-neoned, hyped, and played-out workout gear, which certainly rings true. They've only got three styles of shorts, and I'm partial to the session short, which is the lightest and most minimalist of the bunch. The one sort of unusual feature, which I quite like, is the perforated waistband, which is insanely comfortable and, put simply, keeps the shorts from getting in your way. Perhaps more than the product itself, the ethos of the brand really caught my attention as well. 10,000 stands for a commitment to the daily practice of self-improvement and the constant pursuit to be just a little better than yesterday. That's a hashtag, by the way. Hashtag better than yesterday. Men, give these shorts a try and I promise you won't be disappointed. And for the women, maybe, just maybe, you've finally found the perfect gift to entice your reluctant partner into joining you for a yoga class. Who knows? Grab a pair or a few at henrywins.com slash 10,000 and use code henrywins at checkout to get 20% off once again that's henrywins.com slash t-e-n-t-h-o-u-s-a-n-d and use code henrywins to save 20% on your order of any size full disclosure this brand is not a paid sponsor but i am an affiliate meaning when you order their products i'll earn a small commission for sending you their way so if you'd like to support the show, you can buy one of the items I recommend, and you'll not only receive a high-quality product, but also know that you're helping to keep Dharma Talk up and running. As far as other ways to support, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, which helps more than you know with discoverability, or make a direct financial contribution at henrywins.com donate. Now allow me to introduce my guest more formally. Carmen Aguilar, at Life on Instagram, started teaching yoga 21 years ago in Chicago. In her over two decades in the world of yoga, Carmen has passed through most of the phases a practitioner and a teacher can experience. She started teaching after only a few years practicing. She taught privates for 11 years owned a studio called The Lab in Chicago for nine, and has taught 18 teacher training programs and even more workshops all over the world. Now she offers online classes and a new online teacher training course, and she continues to be recognized for her social media platform. Carmen currently lives in Hawaii while traveling the world sharing her passion for yoga. If you are inspired by this episode, if what Carmen shares resonates with you, then go to dharmatalk.show and type Carmen in the search bar, C-A-R-M-E-N, and there you will find all the notes, highlights from the episode with timestamps, and links for the episode, including Carmen's recommended book. And if you're looking for something to read, check out my running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk go to henrywins.com slash books and pick one out. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Carmen Aguilar. Carmen, I'm so happy to have you on Dharma Talk. How are you today?
0: I'm really good, thank you. Thank you for having me here today.
1: My pleasure. Carmen, we always start these podcast interviews with the same opening question. I'm really interested to hear your answer to this question. And that is, what does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today?
0: Well, for me, I've thought about this because I've listened to some of your podcasts already. And dharma, honestly, is uh, an old word that I don't normally use. I connect more with uh, concepts like my mission uh, or uh, yeah, my purpose. So I, in, if you ask me about that, if you ask me what my mission, I, I think it is, then I would tell you that that mission is is it's a two-part mission. One is to invite people to practice and encourage them to practice, regardless of any physical ability or uh, any background that they might have or, you know, any... Because when I first, I remember when I first started practicing yoga, it was very much about, you know, you had to be vegan to practice. You had to have read the Bhagavad Gita and a lot of the scriptures in order to practice, in order to be, to be considered a serious practitioner, right? Uh, so I swore to myself that if I ever taught, if I ever owned a studio, I, I would be a most welcoming host, Regardless of any background, you can be an electrician with no understanding of the sutras and it doesn't matter. You come to your med and it's a place where you can open up and, and start your journey of self-discovery. So I'm a facilitator in that way and I like to make everyone feel really welcome. That's one. And the second one, I would say, uh, for me, it's it's a problem that people quit uh, doing yoga and practicing yoga after a few years. I mean, I see that all the time. And it's really hard to, it's a revolving door. It feels like everybody practices uh, yoga for a couple of years. In fact, we had like, when 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 we owned a studio with my husband, we had this spreadsheet and it calculated how many years, what was the life expectancy of a a yoga student? And it was always less, in in average, I'm gonna say between two and three years. And, and then, you know, people find something else or they just all of a sudden yoga is not that interesting anymore or, or, you know, you found a rock climbing, that's your next, next big passion or you, you found salsa or whatever it is. And then you start to fall off a wagon of yoga and then eventually you quit altogether. And it's a shame because I mean, really true understanding and knowledge and, and, uh, And really, you know, deep knowledge of yourself, it only comes with with time. You know, the more times you you step on your mat, the more hours you spend on it, the the more you're going to learn about yourself. And also the better teacher you're going to be, you know, it's... It's, uh, if you, if you've taught, uh, we all understand that if you've taught one class or if you've taught a hundred, obviously you're going to be a better teacher if you've taught a hundred classes. But if you've taught a thousand classes and ten thousand classes, I guarantee you, the person that, you can also see the difference. The person that has taught ten thousand classes is way better teacher than the person that has taught a thousand. So the more you stay with this craft, the better you're going to get at it, both teaching as a teachingist, as a practitioner. And it's for me, it's a little bit of a disease that people just you know keep using it as a revolving door and they just get in, get out, you know, get in, practice, get out, get in, practice, get out. Get in. And there's very, 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 very few that actually stick with it. And I want people to stay, you know, damn it, stay, stay, stay with it. Um, so that's, that's what I would say uh, my, my mission would be.
1: It's a very clear mission. Um, the two parts, first to make yoga, not only accessible, but also attractive to anyone from any background, no prerequisites required. And then secondly, to keep up the retention or the longevity of the yoga students life cycle.
0: Correct.
1: Yes. Correct. You know, thinking about you and, and the way that I was first exposed to you, which was your Instagram account. Um, I see one way that you're doing that, uh, you know, by making all of these yoga challenges where you have a theme and a whole month of programming around what poses to do and work your way toward a peak posture or what, whatever the exactly. case may be, is, exactly. is one exciting way to do that because you know it keeps things fresh and also it's published on a platform that anyone can access. I I see that exactly. as one way that exactly. you're furthering Those. that mission. But what are what are some of the ways that you're that you're moving the needle forward with these things that matter to you?
0: Well, uh, when you, when you come and take my class, um, you will, you will know that I, I don't, I don't favor anyone that, uh, or someone that has some, a lot of physical ability to me. It doesn't matter, you know, if you can put your leg behind the head or you can do a perfectly straight handstand, that's really not the point of it. Even, you know, uh whatever peak pose or poses we're working on that day for me, that's really not the point. Um, and sometimes that gets a little bit misconstrued or lost in the, in the, on the Instagram platform because people think like, you know, it just, it's all about pretty poses and, and uh, difficult poses, difficult asanas, but it's not, it's the journey to get, to get you there, you know, or modifying like when you come to my class, I always, when we work, it gets the moment of, the, of working on pick poses. I always like to break them down quite a lot. And I give three or four different options for people. Okay. If this is one option, this is the second option. Uh, I try to stay away from quantifying it. Like, you know, this is tougher than this one. You know, I, I kind of give hints, but, um, but I don't want anyone to feel bad about the, the, whatever they, they choose. Right. And, and if someone asks, which one should I do? I'm like, I think the, the, the most perfect solution for you would be this one. So I, I would give them, but I, I like to make it, uh, that everyone participates in the class. I used to take uh, a lot of yoga classes in the beginning. And I used to, I, uh, I used to start, I started with Ashtanga, but I did a lot, a lot of different styles in, in the very beginning. And I remember when I was in class and I couldn't do something and my teacher would be like, you sit down and watch. And I'm like, <laughs> Uh, this is crap, right? This is bullshit because I mean, you can, obviously you can learn from watching someone doing it. Yes, you can, but you also want to experience it firsthand. You want to do it yourself. And I, it made me feel so bad about myself too, that I was not adequate. I didn't belong in that class. So I said, I, if I ever teach. I am never going to do that. I'm always going to include everyone in the class, regardless of the the level or regardless of, you know, whatever ability they they think they have. I like to use Sanskrit because I'm a little bit of a geek myself, but I try to not overwhelm you with Sanskrit. You know, when you go to some classes, some people think that, you know, um, You need almost a dictionary, right, to translate whatever the heck (laughs) that person is saying. Because every three words, every it's a Sanskrit word. I'm like, okay, there's no need. I I love I love the Sanskrit. I love this the concept of uh, all the Sanskrit concepts, and uh, I love doing the poses in Sanskrit. Sanskrit, I think it's very clear. Actually, it's clear if you know it. It's much easier to say Marijasana A" than bend one leg, extend the other, sit down. You know, uh, it's just it's clear because you have a picture in your mind when you when you when I say those words. But also understand that it can alienate some people. So uh, if I say the Sanskrit name, then I also uh, explain it in plain English if i explain i know this is very fashion like if i explain some anatomical concept people are obsessed with that i think uh, these days they're just like it's all about protraction retraction apt ppt and c- mutation mutation and i'm like Fuck that i mean i understand that you need to, you need to know anatomy you need to know certain knowledge you I, it's an alignment etc etc it's very valuable. It is. But I don't need to have the feeling that I need to take a pre-med, a pre-med course to actually understand what you're saying. So I try to, when I teach, I'm very aware of those things. So same as the Sanskrit, the anatomy, I try to understand, explain it clearly, and use maybe some some terms here and there, but it also plain English. Because people will feel like they don't belong in your class if you, if you do that. And I don't know if it's a lack of... I don't know, feeling uh, not, not, not not sure about yourself enough or something, but I also don't like to demo incredibly hard poses either in my classes. I mean, I try to keep the level a little bit above what the students can do. I'm not, They're not there to watch me, you know, to perform, so I can perform to that in front of them and I can do like these crazy things. If it's a performance, then it's a performance. I mean, I, I've done performances and I've done, you know, like little 20 minute demo or something. I understand, That's that's okay. But in the class, they're not there to clap at me like, "Oh, you're amazing! You can do this! You can do that!" No, I mean, I will show something that is a little bit above above, above the level. Uh, but you know, I, I probably could do more. But I'm, not, I'm not gonna show that because I, I I think if I show too much, it's gonna have the the opposite effect effect that that I wanted. You know, and just it's going to be to deter them or tell them, "No, I can't. I can't mm-hmm. do this. This is too difficult for me. It's, it's too much." difficult so i just so i'm very aware of that uh of all those aspects and more and throughout the class so that i make sure that i include everyone uh, or everyone feels welcome Mm -hmm. like they belong yeah that that
1: reminds me of something that one of my friends who is an excellent teacher also his name is yoshio What he told me once was that when you do the demos for the students, sometimes you actually have to like fake it and fall out a little bit just to give people something to keep it light and know that it's not inaccessible to them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Many times when I do, I don't know, let's say I I do a transition, I go from Astava into Caesars, right? And, and, uh. And it's here's my geeky side again, you know, see, like say like the Sanskrit names, because but, uh, but uh, so you go from Astavakra into Caesars, and I do like a fake demo, and I kind of fall sideways, and my foot touches the floor, and I just like I stumble a little bit, and then I do, and you can, you know, with time you can, but keep on trying, keep on doing it because it's just like playing. I always say because my husband plays uh, music and. You know, he always uh, set me that example. And I think it's very clear. If you play a piece of, you know, on the piano, you play a piece of music, you have to play it until the end. If you always play like one chunk that you feel you stuck with that, then you're only going to learn to play that little piece of the the whole, you know, the whole page. So the same thing here, it's like finish the whole movement, go from astabakra, get into it, start to uh, undo the leg and start to pass it behind you, start to go into scissors. And, uh, and no matter how poorly Mm -hmm. you think you're doing it, just finish the movement, finish it. And then, and then eventually it's going to become very smooth and you'll be able to go in and out and without touching the floor. But I also demo, you know, like a poor version and people have a blast. They just, they laugh so much and, my classes are very fun. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you. Because I, I, I find that, uh, obviously, I mean, I'm an intense person. If you, if you don't know that about me, I'm a little bit intense and then the intensity transmits that into, or, you know, it seeps into the class. It just, it's unavoidable. Your personality shows in the class. So I, I find that a way to make students to, you know, participate and do the poses is w- with a little bit of humor and a little bit of, you know, being a little bit more laid back about it. You know, if I, if I were super strict, I, I don't think I would be that successful in making mm-hmm. them trying the pose, right. you know, so.
1: Yeah. So it's, it seems team like, team like you've hands. put a lot of thought into the, the methodology of your teaching and specifically avoiding alienating people or over-intimidating people right down to the language that you use, you know, that was maybe influenced a little bit by your time with Ashtanga and then seeing these. More newfangled, like movement modalities, leaning into the the hyper technical anatomical yeah. language.
0: Yeah, I think I think all of, I think all of us do in a way, you know. I think all of us you are you're very influenced by what you see around you, you know, and whether you are aware of it or, or you're not. And you either react and do most of the time you either you do exactly the same because you think it's a good idea, right, or right. you do the up complete opposite. Because you you thought it was this is horrendous, you know. Uh, same as with your with your parents, you're like, exactly. I'm never going to do what my the parents Same, did, same right? reaction to, to your parents. So so exactly. Um,
1: you know, I'm interested to hear exactly. more about your background and how you landed where you are now. Because you mentioned that some of this was kind of in uh, in opposition to what you had seen in Ashtanga. What other styles of yoga did you practice, and how did they influence your teaching?
0: Oof. In the beginning. I started with uh, Ashtanga because I liked uh, to be challenged physically and uh, and that was you know over 21 years ago so there was not the landscape of yoga was not at all what it is today there was just very, very few styles you know it was like a yoga ashtanga i mean today is like a flavor for mm-hmm. every, every minute of the day right uh, but back when there was really not that many choices so you have to consider that first and i did ashtanga i I like the intensity of it. I like the discipline, but it didn't work for me. I got, and I always, I'm very open about that. I I got more injured in three years of doing Ashtanga more than before I started. I started yoga because my knees hurt, my ankles hurt. I used to play tennis, a lot of tennis. And I was was like, uh, this is not working, but I really like the me- the methodology of, of yoga. I mean I found a lot of value in it. I, I found how I, I love how I felt after the practice. That was my my main hook. Like I, I love the feeling after practicing. Not so much, you know, the poses or something, but how how at peace I felt and how relaxed I was and how I I could connect with my breath. So I explore, you know, I was <clears throat> Pretty injured, so I stopped practicing Ashtanga and I turned into more forest yoga. I did uh, Ana Forest for uh, quite a few years and uh, Yin yoga, and so I discovered a more therapeutic. And I also studied with a robot Striker, and so just more therapeutic approach and more philosophical approach to the practice. And by when that all that was going on, I was I took my first couple of teacher trainings and i started teaching almost immediately like in in my first two years of of starting to practice uh, yoga i was teaching a few classes and for some reason i landed in a gym that was specialized specialized in the one-on-one training and they didn't have they didn't offer yoga back when but uh again it was the beginning of the yoga time so there was was, yoga was not that spread that spread out and i i landed in, in this um health club that was you know they they started to offer yoga and they asked me do you want to do one-on-one classes with uh with our clients and uh and i started to to do that and i realized how unhealthy and how messed up some bodies are and a lot of the poses that i like you know to practice and teach you know from from the practice right i i couldn't i couldn't even start to do those poses you know with uh I couldn't even start getting to lotus with, with a student. I couldn't even, not even remotely, started to do a, a wheel or a kapala reja kapotasana, or I just, it's not, not not even with props or anything. It was just impossible. So uh, in my mind, I started to break down a lot the poses and how to make them more accessible. Still practicing something that resembled a little bit what the, the asana or the, the, you know, the benefits of the asana, but very, very, very modified, very toned down. Uh, at the same time, I was also healing myself, right? Through my personal practice, and I was starting to experiment with that uh, with sequencing. And I realized how important what it was to really warm up properly. So if I, I, realized, okay, if I do some shoulder openers now, I'm going to be much more open to do the next back bend. So I changed the order of poses and I was starting to, so this everything started to, take form in, in my head little by little. And it's just, it took, took years, you know, to cook fully. But um, so it was all of that was happening at, at the same time. And um, when I, when it came and I was, you know, 11 years into the practice and, and I eventually, I mean, after three or four years, I healed myself completely and I went back. I didn't go back to Ashtanga. I went back to, you know, I was so caught up, in the sequencing itself. And I was so interested by it, so fascinated by it, that I started to develop my own methodology. And I focused more on a certain group of mobility, you know, going in one direction of mobility, like, you know, doing keep openers one day, and that's all I do, or doing back bends one day, or doing more strengthening and transitions and inversions one day. Uh, And for me, that worked, that has been working a lot better than trying to mix and match and blend everything in like a freaking salad. Of, of asanas that uh, in my experience, you cannot, unless you're a very, a very gifted practitioner uh, for the majority of bodies out there, it doesn't work because you can only go so far in, in one direction. You can only go so far doing backbends without a very deep warm-up. You can only go so far in keep openers without a very deep warm up. You can only go so far in splits without very you can only go do so well handstands, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh for me it has worked a lot better, you know, this way. And you balance that throughout the week. So you don't balance out in your practice today, but tomorrow you you do the the counter poses that you did it or or, or complementing the poses that you practice today. Like if, for instance I do backbends today. Tomorrow I'm going to do hip openers. The following day I'm going to do uh, inversions and arm you know, balances. The following day I repeat backbends again, etc., etc. So the frequency you have to know your body and know how frequently you do certain practices, you know, depending on your own ability and your own limitations. Um, so while I was doing all that, then you know, 11 years into teaching and practicing, an opportunity came up to open my own yoga studio in Chicago, and I did, and, and I took it. And uh, actually my husband tricked me into it because f- first it was going to be a tango place and some yoga on the side. And you never know, you know, this is like one of a, a very good example of how life goes and you just have to jump and see what happens. Uh, because I never, I never wanted to open a yoga studio. I hate people in general. I mean, I don't like to, you know, I mean, I, I like to teach, <laughs> but I don't like to hang out. I don't. I, it's just, I mean, I'm a yeah. very private person. Right. And I'm just, I value my personal time. Yeah. And not that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Okay. But, but anyway, uh, but it's like, but it's like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm like, I, I think this is the worst idea. I don't like people working for me. I say the war fuck a lot. I, I'm just, I swear a lot. I lose my patience quickly. I'm like, I'm the worst boss. I mean, I just, I don't think I can be any worse uh, suited for, for this. I can only practice and teach. And my husband said, don't worry, I'll, you know, just, we'll manage, we'll manage. And uh, you don't have to, you won't have to take care of that, which was a lie, because eventually I had to, but, but anyway, so I started, we started doing it and then. But he told you what you needed to hear. (laughs) I think so. I think so. I think so. And so we started with tango and yoga and uh, it was going well, but it just, uh, yoga really started to take off more and more and more and more and more and more. And I started to add more and more classes and I started to drop, you know, privates and privates because I used to have at that more at that point I had 18 privates a week. So I, I, st- I started to drop privates, you know, completely. And I started to teach more and more and more in the studio and I started to train uh, teachers. And, you know, at some point I started to open the Instagram account, uh, to promote the schedule in my studio, not for any other purpose, you know, of self-motivation of self-fame or anything but you know it was just a very you know just a way to help the studio you know to attract more students and and it's like well let's do the challenge okay let's do that i can do that and then and uh, that's really how how it all it all really started and the rest as we say is history
1: mm.
0: it's, a, it's an ongoing, it's ongoing history
1: yeah. but before before we keep going into the into the trajectory of what you're doing now, uh, I want to go back a little bit to what you said about sequencing because um, I didn't realize until you mentioned it that you studied with Anna Forrest, and I actually just had her on the podcast pretty recently, and she takes a lot of pride in her sequencing and makes a great point about how important it is and how it can totally change your experience of posture, 100. what the context is, you know, what, what you've done leading up to it. And so, and so I'm with you um, on what you're saying about focusing on a specific area of mobility for a given practice, for a given day. We focus on the hips today, tomorrow we'll do the back bends. But just to play devil's advocate, something that I'm seeing in the popular conversation a lot these days, especially in that, you know, that mobility movement world that you uh, alluded to earlier is, well, no, I I don't want to have to be focused. I don't want to have to warm up. It's all about what I can do at the drop of a hat. Like, what can I do right now? So what is your response to that kind of thinking? And maybe you can answer in terms of how yoga is different from mobility Mm. or however you choose to answer it. I
0: think there's unless you put yourself in a little bit of a difficult uh, situation or let's say in this case in a, in a difficult position, the learning process is going to come right then. Um, so I understand, you know, just, you kind of push in the envelope, right? Why should I put my leg behind my head? If, if my leg cannot go behind behind the head on its own, why should I try to do that? You know, why should I force my body, my joints to do that? Mm, I don't look at it that way. For me, it's a process of learning and discovery. So when I try to put my leg behind my head, as I'm, I'm moving in sync, with my body using the breath and I try to explore, uh, the possibilities, explore what's the, what are the limitations, what fear or trauma or pain I have stored in there. And I want to release it and I want to let it go. Um, unless you put yourself in my experience, unless you put yourself in a challenging situation, there's not that much growth. There's not that much learning. So, That's for me, that's the reason why I practice. And that's the reason why I teach, so that you grow. And the tool I use is the asanas. But the asana is not the goal in itself. The leg behind the head, uh, what you're saying, the way you're saying, I understand, it it seems like the goal is, is a stupid goal of putting your leg behind the head. And it's not, it's the journey to get there. And it's the process that you are going through what's really fascinating. The result is meaningless.
1: Good. That's a good um, way of rephrasing the entire question. I, I, I like that. It's, and it's so true. That's what's applicable in life outside of your yoga poses as well. So exactly, we're trying to make the practice work for us. Right? Exactly. So.
0: Exactly. And it's, it almost feels like uh, one thing that I find challenging when I teach, I don't know about you, because I, I know that you also teach, but it's kind of, sometimes it's hard to engage your students to give you some, uh, give me some effort. Like put some effort in this, you know, because everything in these days, everything is just comes at the tip of your fingers. It's just so, so easy. Like, oh, I'm going to order this on Amazon. I'm going to get this food. I'm going to get it delivered to my home. I'm going to do this. And it's just, it's the sense of so so easy that you think it's going to be so easy. It should be like that on the map too. You're like, oh, it's so easy. it's just Then I'm not going to do it. I'm like, fuck no, you have to do this. (laughs) you have to do this. You want to grow, then grow. Yeah. And you know, and that's, and that's
1: that so. is the, the booby trap of yeah. <laughs> the convenience technology out there, because on the one hand, it is really useful. It's helpful for us because it clears up space for us to be able to put work in on things that matter and that we're uniquely suited to work on. But the, the trap is, you get so used to everything being convenient and easy that no longer are you familiar with the concept of work and effort. So we, so we got to balance that. We got to stay on that razor's edge and remember that we're actually wanting to work on certain things. Completely. Talk to me about challenge that you faced and how you've used these lessons from the asana practice outside of asana. I know that, you know, in the past year or, or two, maybe not totally clear on what the timeline was because it all blends together, but I know that you closed your studio in Chicago to move on to other things. What, what was the best I, I, for I, that? I, I, so, I,
0: so, I sold it. I excuse sold, me, it. sold I, it. I did it. Yeah, I did it. Yes. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, when I, when I opened the, the Instagram account and the challenges and everything, and for the longest time, I, I, i started to get invited to places you know to studio yoga studios all over the country and you're like can you come here can you can you come with each one weekend and it's really hard to to do both things to do both things well i mean to have own a studio and manage it and you know and if you uh, for those that own a studio you already know that you know normally you don't make a lot of money so you have to put a lot of hours of work into it. You don't, you don't have a manager and people that do like 10 things for you because you don't have, the studio doesn't make enough money, right? In general. Uh, so you have to do a lot of things yourself. And, um, so it just, it's very time consuming then obviously teaching at the studio, then also maintaining a personal practice, very challenging. And then let's say on the weekends that you get on a plane and you travel somewhere, you travel Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you come back on Sunday night, you're completely wiped out and it was a great experience and whatever, all that. But uh, you have to come to the reality of the studio, uh, three three days of the studio being without you, without your supervision or, you know, without you being there. So you have to catch up with emails and everything on Monday. So I did that for about two years, you know, just traveling, going back and forth. Until, you know, a straw broke the camel's back and it's just like one day you, you just one day you wake up and you're like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I need to choose one or the other. I need to choose either stop traveling and focusing on the studio and or, you know, or choose traveling and then either close or sell or pass the studio on to someone else. And uh, I did a meditation, and I, I normally ask my practice also for important questions like this. And my practice always answers me. And I know I sound a little lunatic, a little crazy, but it's the way I do it. Um, so, and then I What come, does that mean? I, I come, I come what does
1: that mean practically to that, ask your practice?
0: Uh, but I come with a question in my mind when I start practicing and I you know I I normally start sitting down and I close my eyes and I breathe blah, blah, blah. and then I you know start my practice blah, blah. and normally somehow or some way throughout the somewhere throughout the practice, uh an answer forms in mm-hmm. my head normally. Or sometimes it's like it's just a feeling, sometimes it's like a sentence, it's a very clear thought. Sometimes I don't know, but, um, but the, 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 answer, I mean, I get an answer and that answer is not in me. It wasn't in me to start with. It just comes from somewhere or, or something, you know? So someone is communicating and giving me some guidance. That's what I believe. And, uh, and you know, so normally, so I did that for a few days and, and it was, just choose choose the traveling and choose to spread the message uh more and just continue to go to the studios and uh let somebody else continue with the studio uh here in Chicago or there in Chicago and and that's what I did and I sold it and then I, you know, I dedicated, I, at the, at the, same time, I had the opportunity to either stay in Chicago or move somewhere else. Cause I could, if I, if I travel, if I travel full time, then I can leave anywhere. Right. And so I visited Hawaii um, because some friends told me that, you know, it's like, you should go. It's, it's a great place to disconnect. It really is a great, it, it is a great place to disconnect, but it's really far from everything. Um, and so I visited, I loved it. And I'm like, I'm going, i'm moving to hawaii i'm so i'm selling the studio and i'm traveling full time so it was like everything all all happening at the same time
1: i love the what you shared about asking your practice for for answers to the difficult questions i think that's a really useful and and practical use of the practice, um, you know, to be able to tap into your intuition, or as you put it, maybe it's something outside of yourself, but either way, it gives you confidence in your choices moving forward. Were you concerned at all about, uh, finding an appropriate shepherd of the studio to, to pass it along to?
0: Mm, to tell you the truth. No, because, uh, well, I had I had two choices. I had two people that wanted to um, to buy it to get it from me, and I knew that both choices would be would be great. When I decided finally on Chris, who is the current owner of, of, of the lab today, I knew I had made the right choice. I mean, I absolutely love Chris, and I hope he he, he hears this. I love him. He's just so dedicated. He's just such a respectful student, and I. He has such a, such a good work in ethics. I love him very much. So I, I knew that it was the right choice. And he takes it very, very seriously. And he wanted to continue with the legacy. He wanted to continue. Um, I told him, like, you should open. And I just invite other teachers to join in or, you know, other styles of yoga or this. And, and he's just, he's always... Uh, He's been really great. He's been really great, and he always asked for uh, advice or Carmen. What do you think I should do here? It's not like okay, okay, I got this from here. You know, I got it, and goodbye. Uh, no, he's always you know asking for guidance and or opinion, and what do you think I should do? I I appreciate that very much. I think he's. I think he uh, he's the studio's in very good hands.
1: Well, that's great to hear because I know that even if you do make this decision to, to move on as you have a part of you is still, you know, that's, that studio is your baby in a way. So you want to see it taken good care of.
0: It's, it's absolutely true. It's, it was one of the toughest decisions to actually let it go. Cause also one thing that happened when I was not that much in the studio, but I don't think people realize that, or if, you know, if you're a traveling yogi, I don't know if you realize it, but uh, when I was not there physically that much, even if I wasn't teaching, because you know, before I, I didn't teach that many classes, maybe one a week or something, but I was physically there. Uh, when I was not there that much, because I was traveling maybe for two, three weeks at a time or something, then there were not the students coming through the door. You know, the studio was making less money. It was literally dying a little bit on its own because my baby was was dying. I, I, did, I was not feeding it properly and it was killing me. I mean, that was also why the urgency of the situation, because I, I was seeing that it was Little, little, it was decaying little by little. And I knew that it could thrive like it had before, but I was, you know, not there that much to help out. And it was killing me. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I understand what you mean. Um, you know, as much as you can rely on relationships and like your team, ultimately, like it all trickles down from the top. And if you're not present, then it's, it almost feels like the right thing to do, yeah, is to like fully transition it over. So I, I get that. But, yeah, but yeah. I would like to know a little bit more about your working relationships, though. And specifically, I know that you you teach with your husband, Moises. How do you yeah. how do you work together? And, um, you know, how do you balance each other's energies or inputs?
0: Uh, first, it's so easy because my husband is awesome. I mean, he is he's amazing. He's the most patient person in the world. I am so lucky. I am so, so, so lucky. I, uh, I'm the kind of person that if I am, I'm confrontational, I'm, you know, I I come up to you and I just start yelling at you or something. If I get really aggravated and he never, if you try to fight back in that moment, then we're going to have a very strong fight, right? Because it's just, it just, it's like, like foam that goes up and then I go back, back, back down. Right. And I calm myself down and I'm like, shit, why did I do that? You know, and I, then I, I started to reflect on on the way I am and why, and then, you know, and I comment and I apologize and whatever, but, but he's just, he totally gets me and gets you know, the, the way I am. So it's really easy because he never, he, we always, I always say that we never fight. Uh, he negotiates. He's just, he never, he never really fights or anything, but he's just, he's really good at making someone do and think whatever he wants. He's just, it's, he manipulates me in a way, you know, in, in, <laughs> in the, in the, best sense, in the best sense of, of the, of the world. Um, and he's also, he's a very modest, very humble guy. So when, when I teach, I, I always like to give him more spotlight and more, you know, more presence, but he's just very humble and he wants to be on the side, you know, he wants to be sitting on the side and, and he, He's, he does incredible adjustments. He teaches great yoga classes. He sequences really well. But I mean, one of the things that he, I think he does best is definitely adjustments, uh, hands on adjustments. And, you know, it's just when I teach, then he walks around. We both walk around the room, but he's the one that gives the most uh, adjustments because I'm, I have to teach. I have to manage the energy of the class. I have to demo. I have to, I don't know, get to someone to do something. So, um, he's taking care of to taking care of the students and also uh, i find it's very useful when you have a maybe a few students in the class that are falling behind and that i cannot really do 90 uh, percent of what you know of what i'm teaching then he he's definitely there for them and he's definitely you know giving them options and and they're laughing and many times when i'm teaching then you see a small group in the back they're just having some a few laughs and it's because because of him that he's just telling them, you know, this is what I, what I do. And they, you know, he does a demo and then he falls. And, and uh, so he makes it a little bit goofy and and everyone feels, you know, very welcome, very welcome in in the class, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm going to say that it's mostly his work It's it's not me. It's not me.
1: Well, it all comes back to this, this ideal of yours that everyone be participating. And to have someone else helping you out to make sure that everyone is covered can become a very key ingredient of that. Otherwise, people do tend to get left behind. Or if they don't have whatever it is inside of them, that spark that like keeps them going, even when everything is a little bit out of reach, then you need an extra outside source of accountability to keep you with that. So I, I, I love that idea um, of you two working together are the adjustments an important part of your teaching is that an important um piece of every class oh, for me
0: yeah for me, for me it is and even in in our teacher training we dedicate quite a few hours uh to adjustments to hands-on adjustments which is kind of a kind of a taboo you know concept these days or a taboo idea it's like is should we should we lay low and not do adjustments because of all oh, what's what happened has happened recently in the yoga world and i'm like no no just because someone didn't know how to properly uh, touch the students or how, 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 just because someone was inappropriate doesn't mean that we all have to run away from adjusting now you know and uh, i think there's a very valuable uh, lessons and very uh, you can get a lot out of a a good assist a good hands hands and assist 100 percent. and part of a value and the incentive of being in a real life class is to be able to get an adjustment because if not i can go online and there's just so many platforms so many so many classes everywhere you can take an online class and follow that class but one of the added values of being real life, besides sharing the energy with a group, with a teacher and everything and participating. But another one of the perks of that is to be able to get some, some assist. And when they're done right, it feels amazing. It's, it's, it's very healing, mm-hmm. same as it, as it could, could be very damaging.
1: Right. Did you get pushback from students or people in the community when everything has been going down recently about, about adjustments and inappropriate touch, or is that more a conversation that came up in your own head that you needed to reckon uh, with?
0: No, not really. I mean, I'm very upfront as you can, you, you can kind of hint from this conversation. I'm, I'm very upfront and, and I, when, when I start a class, I always say we're going, we like to adjust people. We like to assist you. If you're not comfortable, let us know, you know, it just, and In the the 20 plus years that I've been teaching and traveling literally all over the world, I think maybe twice two people in different cities, different places has actually said, I I prefer not to be touched for whatever reason. And and we totally respect that of course, Uh, but for the most part, no. And also, um, I mean, uh, this is when you when this is something that people don't realize when you do and when you do adjustments with people that you don't know with students that you've never met before. Uh, I don't adjust either very harsh or very strongly in the beginning, or I lay my hands strongly on them. It's just it's a dance, right? And you start to little by little so that you. You gain their trust, and then eventually I can move you into a deeper twist, or I can move you into a deeper forward fold. Or I'm not gonna go with my full force the first time that I that I lay my hands on you. If if I've never touched you in my life, I don't think that's a good idea. Regardless of the whatever has happened in in the yoga community before, regardless of that, before before all all that, I would never. If you would if you came to my class the first time, I would just you know so that. you your body knows my hands. And then, you know, and I, and then you start to trust me more and more and more. That's why the more classes you take with me, the more comfortable you are, obviously. And then I can push you a little bit more and I push you further. And I've been to many classes. I've taught many classes that uh, have a new student next to a, an old student of mine. And then the new student is like, I want to do that. What well, you just did with that person. Can you, can you assist me? And I'm like, I can't, I can but I won't. But if you want, we, we can start, I, I can start to do it, but two things are going to happen. You're not going to have, you know, that stamina and your body's not going to trust me to go that far. And it's it always happens. Always. They always want to come out or they always want like, Oh no, no. And because you're not used to the, the pose, my touch, etc. So it's just, I'm like, no, I mean, it, it takes time to kind of, you know, grow, used to that other person's Mm -hmm. touch.
1: What else are you looking for when you are teaching and you're scanning the room? Like what tips you off that this person could use an adjustment? And this is the type of adjustment I'm going to give them.
0: Mm, for me, uh, it's a good question, man. Uh, when I see someone that is, um, really participating. In the class, My, let's say we're, uh, I like to do inversions and I like to go to the wall towards the end of the class and, or working in partners if we don't have a uh, wall space. Um, if I see, uh, let's say I would go to the wall and I see someone that is sitting down, you know, 80% of the time because they just do one form balance and come down and they just sit down against the wall, then that person probably does not want an adjustment, right? And also I'm not I don't want that to give that person an adjustment because that person does not deserve an adjustment. An adjustment is a treat. Is uh for me is a treat. It's something that you earn through your work. Right? If if I ever go to another teacher's yoga class and they give me an assist, I want them to assist it, assist me in a pose that I'm, you know, struggling with or something or I want to feel more comfortable in. So it's 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 a treat. And uh, that person is sitting down the whole time. I'm like, I'm not going to give you an adjustment because you're not working your mm-hmm. ass off. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. All right. Then I go and, it's, and you, next to that person is another one that is just kicking up into forearm balance, coming down, kicking up again, coming down, kicking up and just trying endlessly, tirelessly. Then I go and I'm like, okay, let's just do it together. Let's just do it in the middle of a room. Let's just practice it, you know, and... And then that person feels really empowered and motivated and everything. And many times what happens is that a person that was the, the lazy one that was next to them, they're like, Hey, I want to do that too. Hey, I want to like, please, you know, give me, give me some too. Right. Uh, so you kind of, you kind of use that or whenever I teach and I teach groups that I don't know all the time, you know, I, I don't know the students that are coming, uh, then I, Usually, start adjusting those that are more eager, more participating, more involved, and then uh, kind of you go to that second uh, peel or second layer of the onion of those students that are a little bit maybe less involved, and then the less involved, and less, but so that eventually everyone you is is more involved. But if you start st- if you start adjusting someone, let's say that is not really participating, it's not really into the class at all, something like please don't touch me or please don't do this to me or something like that could mm-hmm. happen to you. And as a, especially if you're a new teacher, so it, it really looks very bad and it undermines also your confidence as a teacher. So I, I try to, you know, start with the, the people that are more willing to try the people that I know maybe in the class, and then you expand that circle.
1: Those are great tips. Yeah. Start with the people who are receptive and eager, and then work your way down as you have the confidence and, and you're using the, you're using the adjustment sort of as a carrot, uh, to motivate the others and kind of use it as a force for, for good. I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, let's shift gears a little bit and start, um, talking about some of the things that you have coming up, uh, 2020 for you is Jam packed, as I'm sure many most of your years are these days, very busy teacher. Um, but I know that you have an online course coming out and a couple of teacher trainings. Um, what would you like to share uh, about those programs with the Dharma Talk audience?
0: Mm, well, because it's new, because uh, next year I'm going to do my first uh, TT. I'm going to teach my first TT in Spanish, which is even though it's my native tongue, I mean, I was born in Spain. And I moved to the states, you know, twenty-something years ago. I don't usually teach in Spanish. I mean, I teach in Spanish when I go to, to Panama or when I go to Guatemala or when I when I go to Spain. When I go to a Spanish-speaking country, many times I teach in Spanish. But I feel more comfortable teaching in English because that's what I'm used to. Um, so it's a big effort, right? It's, it's a big and the, the manual, everything, all the materials is done in English. So it's it's a big it's a big effort. It's the first time that I'm doing a TT in Spanish, but if you don't keep on challenging yourself, you know, you're not really growing. So I said, what the hell? Why not? And, um, and I also, I, even though I've taught, you know, I think 17 or 18 uh, TTs already, uh, this is the first year that I'm offering a 300, uh, a 200 and a 300 in Chicago in my old, uh, yoga studio and at the lab. And so that's that I have that over the summer in August, which is a great time to be in Chicago. You don't want to be there right now <laughs> in the winter time, but in this, in the summer, in the summer, it's really pretty. And, uh, and I also partner up with a company in Barcelona, it's called world mastery, uh, which basically they do programs, um, kind of like the theme, like the master class theme that is going around in the us, you know, like learn to photography with this person or screenwriter a uh, uh, script writing scripts for this person or writing with this person or makeup with this person or something. Uh, so, but it's, it's geared uh, to teachers. So if the program is geared for those that want to become teachers and, you know, and just, and I share how I teach my classes, how I sequence, how do I, how I, I adjust. And you have like, you know, like, examples, real life examples of, you know, of students in real f- flexibility, like, you know, all range from the stiffest the stiffest person in the class to the most flexible and how to modify the classes and sequences. If you have one class written down and, uh, and you want to tone it down for whatever reason. So all of that, it's, it's, it's a very comprehensive program. And it's, it's really nice. This it's, it's really nice. And I had a blast, um, taping it is uh, with, with this guys in Barcelona. Uh, it was, it was such a pleasure. It was a, such a pleasure. So I highly recommend if someone is interested in, in expanding their teaching skills or acquiring more or deepening them to check it out, you know, go to world mastery yoga and check out, check that out.
1: Okay. We will definitely put the links. Um, to all of your teacher training programs and the World Mastery Online program, in the show notes for this episode. But I let me ask you this: uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've taught eighteen teacher training programs, uh-huh. so at this point, you've got it down to a science, and I'm sure it's continually being refined and optimized. But it's also comfortable, right? I mean, you can do that probably in your sleep at this point. Why challenge yourself to? teach a teacher training in Spanish and to put one out online, which introduces all sorts of new complications and things to figure out. What, what motivated you to do that?
0: It's, if you don't, I feel like if you don't keep on challenging yourself, you become very stall in a way you become, and things become very monotonous and boring and too well-known for a long time. I was in the you know, in the yoga business, just doing privates and teaching group classes, and I was fine, and I was, you know, making making a lot of money because when, when privates, you said, that's when you the, the, the money is right uh, when you teach classes. And I'm like, why would I open a yoga studio that is all you know? It's a black hole that you're gonna put, put money in, and it's just, it just disappears, it disintegrates, it just it doesn't exist anymore. That money that mm-hmm. you pour in, and it's endless, it's endless. Why would I? Why would I do that? Why would I manage? people working for me and people's schedules and uh, people's problems become my problems. All of a sudden he's like, I can't teach, I can't show up today or something. And, and you're like, why would I want to go through that? And there's a lot of uh, opportunity for growth and learning and, and, you know, and knowing more and expanding. So uh, I, thought it was the best decision to open a studio because it just because of the opportunity or why would I decide to travel? Why would I decide to move to Hawaii? It's whenever the most outrageous or difficult thing, it just becomes such an opportunity to, to grow and and just learn more about it. And that's what fascinated me the most. And this, um, the Hispanic, uh, market is, is uh, yoga market is becoming more and more, you know, up, up bigger, bigger, bigger. And so I wanted to do, you know, a lot of people, Spanish speaking people they they speak English too, but some of them don't. And I wanted to like, maybe the concept of including everyone or reaching everyone, but I wanted to attract to all those, those people too. And I say, let's just do it in Spanish. I think it would be a great idea. And you know, it's an opportunity for me also to to grow as as a teacher and and improve. And every every TT is a little bit is a little bit different. It's just it's a great experience. And the last one we did in Barcelona, there were people from literally all over the world. There were four girls from Korea, one woman from Australia. You know, there were people from from the US, of course, uh, from um, Egypt. Um, from the UK, from Germany, from France, from Spaniards, of course, Italians, Mm -hmm. and it was, it was, I didn't know how well it was going to work out and not everyone spoke English very well. So when the Koreans, a few of the Koreans, when they presented the class, they presented in Korean and nobody understood a word in Korean, but I can tell you, they followed the class to the T. Uh, It was amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and everyone had the best experience and they were like, this is one of the most enriching experiences of my life. We share this space with all those people from other nations and you have to open your mind and open yourself up to this, this experience. So, um, I love it. I, I every time I, I do it, it's, it's a new experience. It's just the opportunity to, to grow and and, and change.
1: Well, I think that's a very inspiring note to start to wrap things up on uh, this outlook of always seeking out challenges and opportunities for growth and, and in doing so, enriching other people's lives. So let's, um, let's move on to the final section of this interview. I end every episode with the Prana round. So I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions and please answer in minimum one word and maximum one sentence. Okay, Carmen?
0: Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got to say, I didn't, I didn't got this far in all the, all the podcasts that I listen to. So I'll, I'll do my best. Cause I, well, I'm famous good. for, I'm famous for just going on and on and on, but I'll, I'll be, I'll be concise now because I can, I can do it. I can do it. You
1: can do can it. Do Take a deep awesome. breath. Suck in the prana.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's go. Okay.
1: In one word, why do you practice yoga?
0: Growth.
1: What is your favorite yoga pose and why?
0: Mm, no such thing. I love all of them.
1: Okay. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from one of your yoga teachers?
0: Be yourself, but it it sounds so cheesy that I hesitated to say it, but be your best self.
1: Okay recommend one book and it can be modern or ancient for our listeners.
0: Um, a hundred, uh, years of solitude.
1: Oh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. Next question is, is yoga for everyone? And I think I know your answer to this. Yes. Okay, last, <laughs> last question. How can our audience get in touch with you? And how can we support you in your dharma?
0: Um, in touch with me, visit, uh, go to my Instagram account, and you can contact me there. Uh, or you can visit seeyogalife.com. That's my website. And you can also see where I'm going in the first in the next few months. And we keep that pretty updated. Uh, you can also contact us via email through, through that
1: Okay, so it's at Yoga Life. That's a good
0: way uh, to support. To support, yeah, at See Yoga Life or also at life.com and to support. Uh, so to support, come and see me. Come do my workshops. You know, take my training. You know, come, come see me.
1: I would like to support you in that way. So hopefully that will work out soon.
0: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you, hold on to your war for that. Okay. So yeah,
1: well you have my email address now. We're in touch.
0: <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> Great. Awesome.
1: Carmen, thank you so much for taking the time. And also thank you Moises for helping to arrange this. Um, until we meet in person.
0: Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank you.
1: Dharma talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram and tag me at Henry I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth and to Patrick Kiebsak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week and until then, keep living your Dharma.